1: All right, well, we are joined once again by our uh, old friend, Sue Robbins. Um, She's not old. Sorry. Sorry. our, Our friendship friend is older. we have had a friendship that we have had for a while now. <laughs> I, I ever-
2: actually, um, yeah, I'm, I'm a grandma now, so you can call me old.
3: <laughs> Brian, have you ever met somebody? Where have you ever met somebody who referred to an old friend as like an? Their, this their,
0: is this my- is my elderly friend. <laughs> Several people. Yeah. I like. Really? I know. I have a lot of friends who are like, this is my geriatric pal, or like this right, is but they my. They use that word. The old. No, they say old. Oh, they say old. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: anyway, as I was saying, introducing Sue. Uh, uh, so glad to have you back, Sue. Uh, the last time we had you on, um, we were talking about your, uh, your, your previous book. That was uh, very much a, a personal uh, account of, of some of the very insightful and, and wonderful things that you have to tell the world. Um, but we brought you back again because you've got a new book coming out. It's called Ducks in a Row. And uh, it's it's more of a uh, more of a breakdown on the healthcare system as a whole. Um, why don't you, uh, for for folks who might be semi new to the podcast and and haven't heard your previous episode, um, just introduce yourself and uh, give us a little rundown on what Ducks in a Row is all about.
2: For sure, I'm super happy to be here. I um, I'm a writer. I live just outside of Vancouver. And one of the things I love to write about is the patient experience in healthcare. And my first book, which was called Bird's Eye View, was a bunch of stories about me kind of being a dropout nursing student. And then when I became the mother of my youngest son who has Down syndrome, so I got a real insight into healthcare um, Mm -hmm. because of him. And then uh, five years ago, I managed to get myself a cancer diagnosis and went through the patient experience that way in oncology. So, my first book I wrote about the, my personal perspective on healthcare, but the second one, which is called Ducks in a Row Healthcare Reimagined, is more of a book about systems. So, it's more of a bigger picture book. And it's based on my work as I've worked in healthcare my whole life too, not just had personal experiences. And it's really a book of encouragement for people who aren't satisfied with the status quo right now and are are pining for change. Mm-hmm. because I think things are not good if I can, that's putting things, that's putting it politely in healthcare. Um, and so it's a book of ideas.
0: I'm, I'm really interested to read your book because um, since starting this podcast, I, we've heard so many stories about the patient experience and um, things that you hear that people go through in the healthcare system, and you just wonder what, like, why, how, why is it, why is that yeah. thing so bad? Like, why doesn't this thing work in a better way? Like, it should be easier. And you keep hearing people say, "Well, it's this—the system doesn't allow for it to be done that way, or the system makes it really difficult for things to happen this way." But like when I think of the system, it's really hard for me to understand what that means because it feels really complex. Mm. It Like when you dig into it, is it really that complex?
2: Um, so I think the whole idea about the system and it's the system's fault and we need to change the system as patients and caregivers, we get told that a lot, that it's our job to change the system. And I think what we've been sold. Is a lie. It's actually a lie. (laughs) Like, I have been on every committee, every council, every working group known to man uh, trying to change the system. So you know, there's this whole movement about patient engagement, that patients get involved and and we get a chance to have our say and to advise, you know, senior leaders about how to make the, the healthcare system better. And, you know, I've been doing that for almost 20 years, and I can tell you that I haven't seen the needle change. And in fact, with COVID, everything has really collapsed and is in the ground in ashes. So, you know, I think we say blame the system, but we forget that people may have made the system and it is built mm. exactly as it's meant to be built. And there are like health policy people and government officials who have made these decisions to create the system that we have. So really saying blame the system is I think a cop-out because mm. we are actually all the system. It is made mm. up of people.
3: Mm. Something that was really interesting, uh, a conversation that we had, uh, uh, is a number of months ago now, um, it came about we we interviewed a, somebody who who uh, works for a, an organization in the US that basically does like a like a it was like a world ranking um of of healthcare systems like major developed nation healthcare systems and mm-hmm. ranking them um, uh, you know best to worst and uh, all relative to the US and you know it looked at countries like the US, Canada, France, Netherlands, New Zealand, uh, Germany Big countries like that, Norway, um, or not necessarily big countries because I guess Norway isn't that big, but uh, a good healthcare system, um, relatively. And and it looked at sort of and and I kind of thought, oh, we're looking at Canada. When I think of Canada relative to the U.S., I always think, oh, Canada's doing so much better in healthcare than the U.S. Because you know we hear a lot about the issues with the U.S. healthcare system, but then it turns out as we looked at this this report. That Canada was, I think, second worst or third worst or something like that. Very, you know, very close to the U.S. in terms of outcomes and um, how we spend our money and all this stuff. And it seemed a very, um, I don't know, it just seems very surprising because of the way that I envision Canada's healthcare system, at least relative to the U.S. And so I, and then when I step back from that, I imagine that in order to improve the healthcare system, I, I think about. I think about doing a mix of things like like what is it that nobody's doing that we can do? That's like a brand new innovation. That's really obviously very challenging and tough to come up with something like that. And then also what are what are some countries doing that are that work really well that we can draw from and implement in our own system. Um and so I guess from that context like do you Do you have a sense of maybe one of each of those things, like something that nobody's doing maybe and something something that another place is doing that works really well that Canada could benefit
2: from? Yeah, I... Okay, so I just want to I just want to touch a bit about comparing ourselves to the US, which as Canadians, we do like all the time and we Mm -hmm. go, well, we're not as bad as down in the US because we're not being bankrupt from hospital stays. I mean, basically, that's the main difference is that when we talk about Medicare here in Canada, (laughs) I think that. It's time to relook at the whole thing because that was from the 60s. That was a long time ago. I was born in the 60s as being an older friend of yours. And, <laughs> you know, no, to be truthful, like, I think it's time for a refresh of it and really looking at uh, what we mean when we say Medicare because I think us Canadians like to believe in the idea, the fantasy of our healthcare system. And that it's like actually, you know, this wonderful place because we're not as bad as the US. And I think that's like a really kind of terrible way to compare our system to something else. So, I mean, you said something nobody's doing and something that another place is doing. And another thing that Canada doesn't do well And I don't want to be like super negative because I got lots of great ideas and people read my book and it says very hopeful and optimistic. So I want to make sure that we go to that place. But the fact Mm -hmm. is we don't learn well from other countries because we already think we're doing a great job. So that's a problem. That's a problem. So there's some hubris in there. I think people need to be a bit more humble about the fact that we can do better. just because we're not America doesn't mean that we can't improve. Um, And also in Canada, when you say the Canadian healthcare system, well, there is no Canadian healthcare system. Like we don't have a federal system of healthcare. And as we've seen in the pandemic, it's very piecemeal according to province. So each province and territory has a different system of healthcare and they, and they don't even learn from each other. As far as I can tell, they don't like to talk to each other. They like to think that they're doing the very best, you know, compared to all the rest of the provinces. So, um, So there's that. Right. And so I think we need, I I hope that we can recognize right now during this pandemic that we need to do better. Like we do, like healthcare professionals are leaving in droves. Like you, you know, on Saturday night, if you tried to call an ambulance in Toronto, no ambulance came. Like they did, they ran out of ambulances in Toronto. Like, you know, my, my, I had a loved one who went to emergency and she sat there for nine hours, right. Before somebody saw her. So things are not going well. And I hope the first thing we need to do is be aware that's happening. But how to make it better, I mean, in my book, I, I, I distilled it down to three different things that I think you know, there are other countries that are doing things well. In the UK, they've got initiatives where um, they provide, they have these safe spaces for patients and caregivers to give feedback. And that feedback goes back to the hospital so that they can learn to improve, to be better. So it's like a very formal setup. It's, it's, it's through an um, organization called Care Opinion. And we don't have anything like that here in Canada. Like if you have a, a concern with the hospital, it, um, it pretty much you get minimized, dismissed. It doesn't end up going anywhere. And it certainly doesn't get fed back into the system so the system can be better. So I really think we could do a better job of creating safe spaces for feedback. Is and that then, kind of like, is that
3: kind of like, yeah. a like a Yelp, like a Yelpy yeah. sort of, uh, <laughs> sort of yeah. deal? For I've always
2: thought that would be so awesome to have Yelp for hospitals. Like even just to say, where's the restaurants mm-hmm. that are around the hospitals that have takeout, right? Like that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But yeah, it's a crowdsourcing thing. It can, it's anonymous. You can be anonymous, but it identifies the hospitals. And then the hospitals that have a subscription to the service, get all the feedback from the people. Um, and we don't have that here in Canada, like down in the States, they have something called the picker, which is like, it's like part of how they get funded is based on patient satisfaction. And we Mm -hmm. don't have that up here. Like it just doesn't exist. So Uh, I, um, yes,
0: I'm I'm surprised that they don't have some type of way to track feedback like that, because when Taylor, you were saying like, like, um, what is something innovative that, that we could be doing and, and saying that it's hard to come up with an innovative idea, it, it's hard to invent something new, but it's not hard to understand what the problems are and where and where they are. because And when you can understand what the problems are, then it's easier to innovate and find solutions because you understand what you're trying to fix. If you just tried to think of like, what is one thing that we could do to make healthcare better, but you didn't understand what the shortfalls were of the system, then it would be like super challenging to, to be innovative in that area. So it surprises me that, there's not a f- feedback mechanism to figure out like where we should be focusing on making the system better.
2: I, I think some of that has to do with people who work in healthcare don't necessarily want to hear complaints. And I don't like the word complaints. I'm putting like quotes around it. Like I call complaints constructive feedback, right? So people, <clears throat> it starts like when they, start in medical school, I think it's the idea that everything has to be perfect. So then if everything's perfect, they can never make mistakes. So if me as a patient speaks up and goes, Hey, my cancer experience wasn't the best. I have some great feedback from you, maybe easy stuff that you're able to do in your hospital that would improve the experience for patients. And all they do is like, you know, ignore me and minimize me and make you, they just want me to go away. Basically, they, they don't want to hear it, but what they do want to hear is the cheerleading stuff, right? Because that's how their fundraising machines work. So they, they're very happy to get positive feedback and that's no problem and they amplify that. But that's not a real picture of what happens in healthcare
0: mm. because
2: we know it's not perfect. Like of all people, patients and families know and staff too, right? People who work on the frontline staff, they know that it's not perfect. And that's how you grow, I think, is through understanding what your imperfections are. Like you said, Brian. So, mm-hmm. but I don't think people want to see it. We're not allowed to criticize the Canadian healthcare system. It's not encouraged here in Canada.
1: Mm-hmm. To to Brian's point, there can we talk about some of the ways in that the healthcare system is kind of failing us? Um, you know, looking through your book, um, it, it's it, you break it down into four. Four major parts of the book, um, and in the first part, something that really stuck out to me was um, a section that's that that's titled "Healthcare is not a car factory," and you go into uh, the you go into the 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 concept of quality assurance. Can we talk about quality assurance and and what you mean by healthcare is is not a, a car factory?
2: Yeah, I like I had some fun with my chapter titles there. But that, <laughs> you that definitely re- did. Yeah. yeah, that that one that one refers to. Okay, so I worked at a hospital. And I'm dating myself, but I don't care. In the late '80s, early '90s, when the whole quality assurance movement started, and what quality assurance came from was from the Toyota car factory. And for some reason, some, I don't know, some consultant decided it was a good idea to sell this to hospitals here in Canada and everybody picked up on it. So the idea was at the Toyota car factory, you have the factory workers putting together the car and they have to be as efficient as possible. Like they don't want them to lose one second because they're inefficient because they had to pick up two things instead of only one, you know, and to get that car out there as fast as, as, as humanly possible. And so, for some reason, you know, healthcare, which is supposed to be about caring for people, picked up on this idea that healthcare should be built on efficiencies. Now, I agree, there is waste in healthcare, like, and we see it as patients all the time, right? Like, we have to go this place, and this place, and this place, and this place, when it could very much be streamlined. But the fact is, (laughs) people are not, like, cars. And frontline workers are not factory workers that are just mm. churning people through the system. So that kind of started the what I would call the altar of efficiency. And that's like, you know, if you go into a hospital, Oh, God, can I can I tell a little story about my radiation treatment? That Absolutely, I please. Yeah. So when I was in radiation treatment for my breast cancer, my very first appointment, I came into the cancer hospital, and the radiation tech said to me, we, we have 12 minutes for your appointment. 12 minutes. That's what they said. So that's 12 minutes to like come in. I mean, I had already changed into my gown and stuff, but come in, um, get up on the table. They make you get up on this table in these weird positions, right? So that the big machine can have, you know, I had two places that they had to radiate, you know, so you're in the right position. It was often very uncomfortable position. Um, and then they, I don't know what they were doing, but they draw all over you. So you end up like with all these like marker lines all over you. And then um, once they get you all set up and they do all these measurements, it's all physics, something that I totally don't understand. Um, Then they leave the room. Like you, when you have an x-ray because it's dangerous to be in the room with you. And then, you know, they zap you, you have to hold for breast cancer. I had to hold my breath while they were doing that. And then they come up back, you get off the table and you leave. So all that needs to be done in 12 minutes. And what I realized, you know, they kind of set the standard for me is that 12 minutes means if I want to like maybe chit chat or maybe I'm having a really shitty day because I like I'm looking at my own mortality and I'm kind of having a bit of a breakdown because of that, right? Like, and I might need a hug or I might be crying, like whatever, like anything like that fell out of that 12 minutes was an anomaly, it was an outlier and it kind of wasn't permitted, like mm. all that was permitted Was everything on the checklist that they had to do to me, and there was no humanness that was factored Mm -hmm. into it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's where efficiency has taken us, Mm -hmm. is to a place where we're losing the humanity in healthcare. It's
0: It's, really it's interesting because like the thing that we've heard probably one of the things that um, I've learned the most over the past six years is that a the patient experience is exponentially better when there's some type of personal interaction between the healthcare worker and the patient, it, it feels like if like somebody smiles at you or asks you how you're doing and, and you can tell that they really genuinely care, then that's what seems to make... That's one simple way that a healthcare worker can make the experience much better or you know even marginally easier for somebody who's going through something that can be really quite scary. So yeah. hearing you talk about quality assurance and the important importance of efficiency in the system kind of goes against that simple principle of what can actually make the scariest moment in somebody's life maybe marginally or e- even more than marginally better.
3: Yeah. I, 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 I hear that and I, and I go, cause, cause from the, from the efficiency standpoint, I go, okay, that's interesting to like, take the, to like, Look at a car company that's really efficient how they make cars and try to apply and try to apply that to the healthcare system. I go, oh, my initial my, when I hear that initially, I go, oh, that's interesting. And then and then when when I hear you tell that story and in, in the in, in and sort of hear it in the context of like that that is the like you said the altar of efficiency. Like when that becomes the be all end all, rather than because there are I, I spend a lot of time looking at companies and trying to figure out what companies do and how they do it. And there are a lot of companies that that do really that Do things for their customers that make their customer feel valued and feel like they're being listened to and so it, it, if 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 our healthcare system at one point was going to look at a car company and go oh we 're going to take the, this efficiency from this company, it probably would have also been helpful to look at some other companies that that are incredible in customer service yeah and, I was just, and, and, yeah. <laughs> and then to go and then to go okay well okay sorry, so efficiency from Toyota. And let's say like customer service from like enterprise rent a car and uh, you know and then and maybe like other little things from and go, how do we take all these little things from these companies and like make them work together like because if you one thing that i that I think about with healthcare is the feeling of not even wanting to go to the yeah. hospital and and i'm not and i'm I'm saying that from like a from a a fairly um superficial sense in terms of like immediate healthcare needs. You know, if I've, you know, my, my experience with the hospital largely is like visiting the emergency room for something acute. And my initial response is like, I don't really want to go. You know, I really, I really have to think about how much of a need I have before I make the decision to go, because I know that the process is going to be very long. The treatment is not that great. And the, the experience of work, dealing with people is not very great. So I'm kind of like...
0: Which is interesting that you're saying that the process is really long when their goal is to be efficient. Right. <laughs>
3: right. Yeah. And so and so then that prevents me from wanting to even even interact with the healthcare system when I need to. Yeah. So that's... I mean... And so improving from the... Like, it seems like the altar of efficiency efficiency obviously you need it but like the personal like is that the is that the thing like is that the thing that we're just like if we just found a way to infuse the personal touch into healthcare like this would be the game would it be the game changer if you could make people feel like they're being listened to on Um, on, at a at a at scale
2: well if People will care for themselves if they themselves feel cared for, right? Like, so it's a big part of health. If we feel like people are caring for us and have made the time to care for us, that will help us go and care for ourselves. Like, that's like I what I think has happened. And it's so funny because I don't think efficiency and, you know, personal care and time like they don't it doesn't actually take more time to be kind to somebody or to show compassion. And there's this great book called compassionomics and it talks all about that. And it takes all these studies that, that have, that they've done about how much time does it take to show somebody that you care about them, that you concern, you're concerned for them, that you understand them uh, especially in uh, physician patient interactions. And he found, sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but, He found that it takes 31.7 seconds. Yeah. Like that's as long as we need to be seen. And I got to tell you, every time I get up in front of a group of physicians and talk about this stuff about kindness and how important compassion is in healthcare and the things that you can do, like, you know, knocking on the door before you come into a clinic room, like Brian said, smiling in the hall, Mm -hmm. all those things, I will have a physician who's agitated. I can see him in the audience. He's all agitated. Uh, He's got to stand up and ask the question uh, right after I'm done speaking. And he says, well, we don't have time for all this. That's what he says. We don't have time. So, but the the studies, which they do love studies and science and data and all that (laughs) stuff actually says it doesn't take more time. In fact, it ends up saving time. Like, I might not come back to the emergency room if I feel like I've been heard. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like sometimes that and also helps with our, you know, there's medical PTSD that happens that people get traumatized by their experiences. And also it helps people not get put into that terrible complaint process when things have gone wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think in fact, this 31.7 seconds ends up saving them time as opposed to costing them time. So I think there's a lot of myths that are floating around out there and certainly my first book I talk a lot about the little things that that matter. A lot of my favorite story is when I was going for my breast biopsy again this weird machine in a weird position and very awkward terrible like painful thing um, that the mammogram tech, tech that was there my hair had fallen into my face and she made the time to brush it out of my face because it was right in my eyes. Like, And I will never forget that, never yeah. forget that. And that helped a terrible situation that she really couldn't have done anything about, right? Going for a biopsy to see if you have breast cancer, so much better. And so yeah. my Ducks in a Row, I think Bird's Eye View talks more about the personal one-on-one at point of care things that we can do. But what Ducks in a Row talks about for people who work in the hospital, who believe in change and engagement like throughout the book i've got all these little ducks and their ideas about how to make things better mm-hmm. in healthcare environments and so i'm trying to be practical with it as as well as lofty at yeah. the same time and
3: like and like what is that in in the in in the in the grand scheme of things if you have 12 minutes to go and do the radiation thing and someone takes 30 seconds to be kind like what you sacrifice 3 or 4% efficiency to complete possibly completely change the experience of the person and then overall and improve cuz all of that is going to kind of cascade into the eventual outcome that you have at least from like a from uh, from a perception experience of how you walk through the healthcare system
0: Ooh. that's assuming you can't fit that 30 seconds into the 12 minutes right <laughs> anyway it's, it's, it's
2: but and they but they don't measure that they don't measure holding somebody's hand or smiling in the hall or even you know value it they don't value it because mm. all they value is when i say they i'm talking about the administrators right yeah. and the departments of health like they value efficiency getting yeah. people through the system as quick. and when you were talking to, i i realized it's not it's efficiency for the system it's not efficiency for us patients like yeah. how many hours do we spend Mm -hmm. sitting in waiting rooms, sitting in emergency rooms? Like it has nothing to do with our time. It has everything to do with their time. And that's where the whole customer idea comes in, which is a term that we do not talk about in Canada. Like they are not, very much in the States, they talk about consumers, but not so much up here. People Mm -hmm. are really uncomfortable with that notion.
1: Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I mean, something that we've kind of, uh, just come to realize, I think uh, ourselves, the three of us over the last six, six and a half years is just through the stories that we've heard time and time and time again, through the guests that we have on every week is that there, there seems to be this lack of humanity when it comes to the healthcare system. And, you know, we're talking about that right now. Um, uh, and and how there's you know there's all these different ways that we can inject humanity into the healthcare system that would go a really long way, but there's something else that you talk about in your book that 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 I find um, I find really interesting and i 've never actually heard this talked about um, and and this might like I feel like bringing this up that there might be a bit of controversy here, um, like some might hear this and go, "Whoa whoa whoa." <laughs> That like that rubs me the wrong way, um, but but I I think you make a really good point, and it's it, it, you go into um, the what you refer to as the cult of perfection in healthcare, and this notion that there's this there's this hero narrative um, in healthcare that that's applied to you know doctors and and nurses and other healthcare professionals, and how this this narrative of like heroism is actually is actually preventing us from seeing our healthcare professionals as humans and, and instead putting them on, on, um, pedestals and, and uh, like not allowing us to see them as humans and to, to accept the fact that humans make mistakes. Um, what, what, what made you go? What made? What made? What made you bring this into the book? And and can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Because again, I just I find it really interesting, and I I think there's a really good point here that this this sort of hero narrative really doesn't do many of us a, a justice.
2: Yeah, I so I I think that chapter is called humans, not heroes. So I've mm-hmm. always said that I would I want to have a human doctor. I I don't want somebody who's a hero. And part of that, again, is busting that myth that, you know, this God complex (laughs) that gets taught, I think, particularly through medical school. And believe me, like the interns and residents go through the ringer with this is they can never do anything wrong. They have to be perfect. They have to have everything memorized. In fact, to get into medical school, you need like a 99% average, right? Like, it's just like, it's like this perfection thing. And the fact is, that doesn't allow, like you said, people to make mistakes, or when they do make mistakes, to admit that they've made mistakes mm. and say that they're sorry, which that, that that's missing too, which of course harms patients and families when things do go wrong, because the healthcare system is not perfect. And I think for healthcare professionals' own mental health, having them acknowledge for themselves that they're not perfect and that mistakes do happen. Would would go a long way for them. So yeah. I really started thinking about that because I, I think about how staff well-being interacts with patient well-being. Like if staff morale is really low, what's that going to do to the patient experience? And the fact is, the two of them are totally wound up together. I think they're all the same thing. Like if staff morale is low, the patient experience is going to be bad. Like I, if I, you know, I was a student nurse for a couple of years. And I remember getting yelled at in the staff room by a senior nurse. And there's lots of yelling that still happens in healthcare. And I was expected after that to go out and give good patient care, right? Like, so, but people aren't robots. Like, this is the thing. And so, acknowledging that healthcare people work in healthcare are human is really an act of self compassion, right? For them to say, I'm not perfect. I have you know, I, I, I can't, I'm not right all the time. I, sometimes I get angry and frustrated and really looking at all those emotions instead of trying to shove them away and pretending to be some sort of Superman.
3: Mm. I was reading a uh, New York times article this morning and it was, it was, it was about, it was about accountability in journalism and how, uh, and how a lot of journalists won't are, are are very hesitant or they don't, or they they don't, they don't, they don't, make themselves accountable for their mistakes. Like, you know, claims that they made research that they did that, you know, down the line ended up to be not true, or maybe just that they thought it was true at the time. And then it turned out to be not true. And, and you know, instead of going like, Hey, I, you know, I made a mistake there and I see that that's not the case anymore. They doubled down instead of, uh, instead of becoming accountable. And, and, um, and, it, and it was a, the art, the whole article was a highlighting journalists who have, made themselves accountable for things that they, you know, were wrong about or made a mistake about or whatever. And, and I've always been very, I've always been very, um, been very curious about the, about the, the nature of not admitting that you were wrong or that things have changed and how that sort of infects society in this weird way. Like you see it a lot in politics where it's like, like a, a a good sign, quote unquote, in a in a politician is that they've never changed their mind on something. Like I never really mm. understood mm. that. You know, it's like so and so has thought the exact same thing for the last twenty years. It's like, well, that's you know, that sounds bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah. sounds bad to me. Um, and and I I'm not there's when we're talking about being human, like one of the most one of the most endearing things that I think anybody ever does is say that they've made a mistake and, and say, oh, and now because of that mistake, I've recognized how to do this better and get better and be better in the future for all the people that depend on me in whatever field that you're in. The,
0: the crazy thing is that we all make mistakes every day. There's nobody that doesn't make mistakes on a, on a daily basis. And the, the thing that I find really interesting about um, job, job identity is that you know, we are all this. I feel like I'm on mushrooms now thinking about this, but like, <laughs> but like, we're just all humans. It's all like, love, have, dude. It's like all these, love. Man. We have these roles or jobs dude, we're in just society. Vehicles, but at the end man. of the day, we're not those jobs. We're yeah. not those roles. So it yeah. seems so crazy that like, I understand that you're, hey, listen, if you're a doctor, your job's really important. Your job's super important for society. You can save people's lives. But if you're saving people's lives, but also making them feel like shit during the process, <laughs> then you're not you're not doing a great job doing a bad job, job, doing doing a bad job. job, job.
1: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I sue i i know that you said earlier that like
1: there's you you that in the book itself in ducks a row that, that it is a very hopeful book um what what are you those feelings of, of hope where are those coming from how are you feeling hopeful about um us potentially seeing some sort of change in the future when it comes to the healthcare system here in canada
2: well, I'd say uh, my last chapter, so here's a spoiler, is called My Shits Creek. And the reason it's called that. Sure. So yeah, the well, I'm not, it's not just a Canadian <laughs> show anymore. It oh, yeah, belongs it's to the world. Interna- I think. International yeah. sensation. So what I wanted to do with this book is what Shits Creek did, you know, on my own humble level, is that what they did was they described the world they wanted to see. That's what Shiz Creek was. It was this ideal world. Um, they didn't do like a ton of commentary about the various things that were going on. They just lived their life in a way that they wanted to show life could be lived. So uh, that's what I think anyways. Like it, I, it really struck me that way. They were like not, not apologetic about it. And, and I think if we want change in the world, yes, we have to understand the problems. But sometimes like, we get really stuck in talking about the problems and then we go, oh, it's the system. How do we make system change? And then we just put our heads down on the table and we give up. Well, that's actually what the system wants you to do is to give up because they, you don't have any power. There's no agency. I can't change the funding formula for hospitals. I can't change the way doctors are being paid as a layperson, as a citizen, right? So what I wanted ducks in a row to do was to describe the healthcare world that I want to see. Mm-hmm. Um, based on my experience, I worked at two children's hospitals um, in the area of um, family-centered care at the first one. And then here in BC, I was the family engagement advisor. So based on my work inside of hospitals, I described through stories, cause I love storytelling, the kinds of things that people can do today. To make a change in the hospital. Um, And so I've got, like I said, I've got those little ducks throughout the book, and they describe things like, um, we started a book club at a hospital. And it was a hospital, a pediatric rehab one, so we read books about kids who had disabilities or families who went through the disability experience. What was a great thing about the book club wasn't just that we were all reading a book together, but when I say we were all, we invited families to that too. Mm. So the book club, because they were families tend to be long-term because their kids were in the hospital a long time because it was rehab. And so we would host um, a book club and the librarian was the facilitator and um, the families and staff would learn from each other through talking about a book. And so people are like, oh, that's, I I can't tell you how many people have said, well, we could do that in our hospital. That's probably something that we could start up. And I'm like, yes, like that, what I, what the book talks about is something you can do today, as opposed to waiting for the system change or having your meeting with the minister of health. Like, I don't know how those big ones are going to happen, but I think at, you know, where the real people, it's a book for ordinary people about what they can do now. Mm. And I've got, I've given lots of examples of, you know, I've worked with staff who want things to be better too. It's not just patients and families, staff are very unhappy with the way things are in healthcare and they're leaving because of it. So what, are, what is the one thing you can do today when you step out of your office to make, you know, healthcare a more human place that that's what I talk about ducks in a row with like a whole, I, I got, I look at this other, sorry, this other thing I did, which is my, like, I didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew it was me. I was like a secret Santa, but I had this little book of inspirational quotes in my office when I worked at a children's hospital. And I used to go and and rip off a quote and go and put it in the various public bathrooms. Like I would tape it up in the bathroom. (laughs) And then every once in a while I would go and change the quote. And it sounds kind of silly. I know. And um, I'm not changing the system that way, but I would hear back from families who said, who were regular families who came in for clinic appointments. And they said they would go to that bathroom to see what the quote said. Like it was oh, something yeah, that yeah. gave them like a little bit, and I could do that. Like that was in within, I wasn't an executive, like I wasn't some I didn't, you know, I don't know my PhD. Like I'm not some big fancy person, but it was within my control to do that. So I talk a lot about serenity prayer stuff and what is in our control and what is not in our control. Mm. And I think, I mean, there's a great Desmond Tutu quote about doing, you know, little things and how these little things they they build up and up mm. and up and up, and that's really what I focused on in ducks mm. in a row. That's where the hope comes from. In fact, one of my endorsers called me the Ted Lasso of healthcare advocates. I, I know. That's Isn't that pretty great? cool. That's pretty cool. That's well, guys. That's yeah. why I
0: got into graffiti lately because I love graffitiing bathroom stalls, and uh, yeah, like, that's what, right. I'm just gonna write some inspirational quotes in there. Yeah. Exactly.
1: I like I like I like Sue's um, version though, where you're just taping something up and you can take it down. It's not uh, it's not gonna be. Yeah, I like yeah. I like paint. Yeah okay i like the uh
3: i like the the i think i think a lot of i from what you just said sue i feel like a lot of people and this is true of i think in in in, in just the way that the way that whether it's like a cultural thing that you want to see and change whether it's a political thing from like a even from a local level or from like a provincial level is that we spend a lot of time um like kind of like thinking and waiting for the change that we want to see to sort of like manifest itself as like a trickle down uh effect of our of our wishful thinking rather than rather than an outward from ourselves kind of change that happens when when individual people take small steps to do small things that mm-hmm. event, that 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 grow into you know, bigger things and Dude, bigger that's, change.
0: That's really cool. That's um, you should uh, coin a phrase around that idea, like "be the change you want to see in the world" or something. Yeah, like That's right. yeah. <laughs> a it's, uh, it's a yeah. really good idea. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sue, very excited
1: about the book. Uh, again, folks, it's called Ducks in a Row. It is. Uh, it's coming out uh, this coming Tuesday, January 18th. Um, Sue, I take it that the book is available, kind of, uh, you know, your standard wherever you kind of find your books. Uh, where, where can people find it?
2: Yeah, it's right now. It's mostly on Amazon. I'm independently published, so it's really hard to get into other bookstores. If you want the truth, so I hate. I kind of wince a little bit when I say that. But Amazon has been as good to independent writers because they print on demand. So you could go to any Amazon site and search for Ducks in a Row in my name, and it will pop up. And I've also got an ebook version for folks who like to read ebooks as well.
0: It's awesome. amazing. Amazing.
1: Cool. Uh, Sue always a pleasure to have you on the show Uh, we really do value your input and your thoughts and uh, very excited again for the book folks Uh, go check it out Ducks in a Row Healthcare Reimagined Uh, Sue thank you again this has been really fun
2: yes thank you
0: that is it for today thank you so much everybody for tuning in If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love
1: those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.